listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Hello, hello. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. And this is the Inclusive AF podcast, <laughs> folks. And we haven't recorded in 32 days. No, years, I, months. I don't even know. I was worried about that, Katie. I was like, do I you know. remember how to do this? Well, it, see what, let me just explain to everyone who's listening real quick. So Jackie and I met up at HR Tech last month and, and I don't know, for those of you who have not been to HR Tech, there's a lot of happy hours. There's a lot of yeah. free drinks, not a lot of food. Not. And so I, I think the last time Jackie saw me, I was slightly hungover and just wanted to go home from Vegas. So we decided to take a break. It worked out well. For it worked, it's worked out. It's worked out for us. <laughs> um, and that's all we'll say about that. Uh, so uh, here we are re-recording or back back on track with recording. And we are in Thanksgiving week and we have a very special guest with us. So I am going to turn it over to Dr. Carol Parker Walsh. And uh, Dr. Dr. Parker Walsh, please introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are for our listeners. Absolutely. Well, I am an executive leadership consultant. I do um, uh, leadership development, particularly for women and women of color in organizations, some organizational change work around psychological safety. Um, and we do some training and development as well. I uh, We've been in business for, this is our ninth year. This month marks our ninth year that we've been in right. practice. But Prior to that, I was a labor and employment attorney for about 10 years, specializing in employment discrimination litigation. And I practiced in Chicago um, and as well as out here in the Pacific Northwest. And when I, uh, but in between that, I left, I was um, uh, an HR director for a small transportation company and then moved inside to be an organizational consultant in a very large uh, place, creating leadership development programs for emerging leaders and senior leaders and doing a lot of coaching and consulting. At the time when I left law, it was all about how can I help organizations not be sued? Um, so create better places that wouldn't allow for that. And when I went back and got my doctorate, focusing on human development and organizational systems and identity and gender equity and structural inequity and things of that nature, it became a little more deeper about how can we create better spaces and places so that people can thrive and survive in, in organizations. And since we spend most of our time there, um, and so from there, I moved into academia and started teaching and then directed organizational leadership programs and then became an associate dean. And so nine years ago, on the precipice of my 50th birthday, I was like, you know what, I don't want to work for people anymore. I want to work for myself helping in the way that I think mm -hmm. is best. And so that's mm -hmm. what I've been doing since. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Well, basically, you've done all the things. That's I've a lot. <laughs> And also, I'm a fan, to be clear, and I'll try not to fangirl out, because it also looks good doing it, because Dr. Carol Parker Walsh, fashion, like, like I, I don't like to use the word guru, however, knows all the things, dresses fabulously while doing all these things, so makes it look, you know, fashionable and easy, because you have the most fabulous clothes and hair, you're always put together good choices. I'm going to have to hire Dr. Carol <laughs> yeah. as my do you, um, coach. You. Do you also do you consult on styling because Jackie would like to uh, you know, ask for your services. Interestingly enough, so I do a lot of brand work, particularly with women to help them, you know, both in terms of their, um, 
their brand messaging, but also in terms of their visual presence. So one of my billion um, certifications is an image consulting and executive presence um, and brand work. And so I do that. So I talk about your visual presence and how you want to show up in a way where what you look like matches who you say you are, which is a lot of fun. So and particularly with women who are, um, uh, you know, not feeling their most confident self. And I'm not saying this about you, Jackie, but people who are like not feeling their most confident self or best self because they either don't pay attention to that part of who they are, or they think they have to dress in a certain way to show who they are. I really teach women how to authentically just be your most amazing self. So and yeah, I love to be clear. Way. I do feel the most confident in my baddie t-shirt. <laughs> yes. That's why I said that's the thing apply to you but it's part of reason yes no i'm so glad and i mean I, I think that's part of it 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 is one of those things when you're looking at the message it's putting it all together there's so many different facets and i think people do go into their work and they're trying to create these images one of the things that i appreciate about you is i do follow her on linkedin and I'm always asking myself the questions. A lot of the posts start with a question where it's like, you know, have you done this? And I'm like, wait, have I? And I've learned a lot from your posts. So I oh, want everybody to do that as well. So every time I'm reading them and they're really, really thought provoking, but it makes me think there was one post that you had, it was a couple of days ago, talking about the reframing of executive presence in the new age of work, which is a lot of pieces, but, there is so much. And if you're okay with us jumping into it, I do want to talk to you more about that because we are seeing that there's a, a different, we always said emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence, but I think it's changed that the emotional intelligence from 20 years ago is not the same as the intelligence that you need today. That executive functioning is completely different. It seems like it's, there's more. So I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, part of the reason I did that is because, you know, the idea, first of all, executive presence, even though it has a definition, which is fundamentally about how you act, speak and look and your ability to influence based on those things, but it had been defined so um, subjectively and it had this kind of monolithic kind of patriarchal button up power dressing, you know, way of being that it was like you know basically it was used as a tool in a lot of ways in my mind weaponized mm -hmm. and particularly against women and and um individuals of color to say you need to be more like this in order to be acceptable and deemed worthy of being in executive level positions and i think what has transitioned which is beautifully and, and i'm thankful for is that now it's more about how do you find your own authentic way to show up right so like for women of color, like the crown act has come out because it used to be you could never wear your hair naturally. I remember when I started wearing dreads about 20 years ago, I had so many people say, aren't you worried about where your career is going to go if you decide to wear locks? And I'm thinking, like, what does that matter? But that was the whole thing about executive presence and like this kind of monolithic idea of what that meant. And so today, and when we think about this expansion of authenticity and showing up with your voice and to the realness of who you are so that you can be the best possible leader in a way that is inclusive and, and has a representation, it requires us to expand that idea of what that means 
into allowing people to show up authentically in terms of who they are. And when you can show up authentically, you can have that brand and build that message, then you are allowing yourself to actually be more emotional intelligent because it, again, it allows for your voice and authenticity, right? There's no, again, monolithic way in terms of how we express emotion. We all express it differently, but the ability to express emotion is something that we're creating more space for. And, and I think personally for women, again, specifically because I do a lot of work around women and, and women empowerment, I think our inability to be expressive around our emotion and has been akin to denying a piece of our humanity. Because if we can't be who we are and be real and be excited and upset or even emotional about something, there's nothing wrong with being that way, even in the confines of the workplace, that it allows us to express ourselves and connect to others and give others permission to show up in that way in a way that wasn't really allowed before. So this this whole reimagining of what does it mean to how we act, look, and show up for influence is dramatically shifting as we move forward. Yeah, I, that is so important for people to realize. And I've been looking at that from a culture standpoint internally at Textio, but as I'm looking at all like the world of work and how people show up and the different ways that they can show up, I always find it fascinating where I'm really passionate and I'm talking to someone and it, they're like, oh, I don't know, are they angry, are they mad or whatever? And it's like, you know, that means this person actually cares about you. Like, let's just start with that, where we're talking about um, what does this mean? Where someone is taking the time to have the conversation. It may feel a different way, but know that when have you gotten that at home is when maybe it was my mother or my sister or a family member or my auntie or somebody in the neighborhood was really mm -hmm. concerned about my well-being. That's how that shows up. If they didn't care, they would say nothing. And right. it was like, oh, now I'm, I'm able to express myself in that way. And we have to look at it. Like you said, everybody shows up differently and it is going to look differently. So we have to change and reframe. How do we accept those messages and how are we listening to the way people are showing up? And I think yeah. I still don't think they want all of it. I always say, you don't want me to bring my whole self to work. <laughs> Not all of it. Maybe 70 percent, 75 percent. I'm going to hold yeah. some of that back. <laughs> well, that's that's really interesting because the uh, the TEDx talk that I did a few years ago was about fit versus belonging. And, and you know, you talk about the questions that I asked, but. What prompted that, what always stuck in my mind was years ago, I saw an article and I think it was a diverse magazine that, that Pricewaterhouse did. And the question they asked was, what did you leave home when you came to work today? Wow. And that was like the opening of my talk. It was like, what did you leave home when you came to work today? And they went, they had a list and it was like your yarmulke or your cross necklace or your voice or your, your laugh or your full person. Like it was a bunch of stuff on the list. And it always struck me as such a powerful thing that when we cross the threshold of coming into a workplace that we feel like we have to like take ourselves and take it off like a coat and leave it behind and show up in a way that other people deem to be acceptable. And when you think about that, I mean, how can you be your best self when you're not allowing your best self to be present in the work that you do and the way that you do the work that you do? So we're moving I believe we're moving away from this kind of, again, monolithic idea. And what that requires is for not only ourselves to give ourselves permission to do that, but for others to create space for it. And so that means you have to expand your idea and definition about 
you know, what's acceptable or, or how you're going to engage with people who are operating in a way that's not like you, right? Or it's different from maybe how you show up. Maybe you're more introspective and someone's more, um, you know, expressive. But that's okay. So how do we find that ground that it doesn't require you to be more like me or me to be more like you, but we have space to allow both of us to show up in a way that makes sense for us all. I love that. I, I think that's something that, you know, I have been in so many calibration meetings with leaders where we're talking about in that comment of, oh, well, they don't have executive presence and even asking them, okay, well, what do you mean by that? Like, what does that mean to you? And no one can tell you, not one of them can tell right. you, but, not but one. it's kind of that unspoken, yeah, we know what you mean. You mean older white male, but, you know, that's usually the answer to the question um, for a lot of different things, but for this specifically. And so it is, you know, how do we, like you said, just shift the way that we're looking at it and think about this in a different way that hasn't been accepted before and not even accepted, but like praised before. Because I think that's the other piece is when we start to see different folks come into the mix and have conversations and share parts of who they are. Mm-hmm. We all get better. And and it, it is just funny though, that you know, I, I also grew up with a dad that it was the, you know, we were talking about uh, getting dressed and all of these things earlier, but the, you know, dress like a bomb, you're going to perform like a bomb. That was one of his like sayings, but they, and that's what I grew up with. And, and then I went into tech and threw that completely out the window because it was hoodies and t-shirts every day. Um, right. Right. <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting. I, so I want to dig in on a kind of a, one of your other posts uh, that you put in around grace and, you know, kind of how you define grace and, and why that is such an important piece and, and kind of the, the way that you framed grace in this post. So I would love for you to share with our listeners. Yes. Um, you know, what did I say? You said <laughs> grace is not just grace is not just a quality; it's a practice, a subtle art that we as leaders and influencers can master and exemplify. And and then there's yeah. you know different pieces to it. And I just it I love the idea of it being a practice. That's so yeah. true. I have these moments of inspiration that something hits me, and so that's that's honestly you know where that came from. But you know the thing about the thing fundamentally about grace is that it's an opportunity for us to have it with ourselves and with each other. And to me, particularly when we're talking about conversations around DEI or belonging or inclusion, or even around expanding um, executive presence, the ability to show up authentically in terms of who you are, it requires grace. It requires the opportunity to kind of be okay, to sit in a moment and say, I can create space for that. I could be open to that. I could find ways to connect to that. I can find commonalities in that. I could find the joy and significance in that that maybe I wasn't able to see if I just do so with this kind of rigid mindset and this one way of thinking. But as I do it for others, that you also want to learn how to give grace to yourself. That if you, um, you, you know, there, there's so many, there's so many times that. So I tend to, I love speaking and I do a lot of speaking and, um, you know, I get really passionate when I get on stage and every now and again, an F-bomb may pop out, (laughs) you know, or something, 
that maybe in the in the context or the environment may not seem or deem to be to for most people to be the most appropriate way to express myself but i get really passionate about something and so for me even with that there's there needs to be grace it's grace and because some people may just completely shut off for me and say oh i can't believe it and clutch their pearls and leave and think you know how inappropriate and there may be moments where i'm thinking oh carol remember reel it in you you know you you find other words to use but even in something as simple as that, it requires grace. It's an ability for me not to beat myself up and never to share the stage again. And it's also an ability for someone else to say, okay, I may not prefer that, but let me look for the messaging. Let, let me find something in there as opposed to stick to the thing that I may or may not like or care about. Let me hold res- or reserve judgment for that to keep myself open to what uh, what else is being shared. What what else can I maybe get from this conversation? How can it open me up in such a way, right? And how can I not then feel inhibited in the future because, you know, giving myself grace to say that, well, you know, maybe next time, hopefully next time I won't. No promises, but hopefully next time, you know, I won't. So, so that's, to me, that's the practice of it. It's in the moment is asking yourself those questions to really guard against this idea of judgment and closing yourself off to really continue to be open and to allow yourself to be more curious and in and, and, and exploratory mode around things. Love that. And I think, you know, the this week, especially as we all are, are heading into the holidays and heading into some of those tough conversations around uh, dinner tables, things like that, I think grace is such a good reminder uh, because it's also about granting grace to others. And like you yeah. said, you know, maybe there's one thing in the message that they're sharing about politics or about something else, but you can still appreciate who they are as a human and and what they, you know, bring to your group, your relationship, whatever that might be. So uh, I love yeah. that idea. And, and I also think that, you know, a lot of, you know, every, not always, but every now and again, I get brought in to work with, um, an executive that the rest of the organization is maybe deemed, or the rest of the leadership team, I would say, may have deemed to be problematic, if you will. And one of the questions I always ask them is, well, do you have grace as they are defi- redefining how they want to show up in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Because what often happens is they're deemed a problem. Mm-hmm. And while they may not, may they may or may not see that to be true, but maybe they're going to start to work on making some changes and inhabit new ideas and maybe shift some behaviors and try to show up a little bit differently. My question is always, do you have grace enough to allow for that transition and to allow for that transformation? Because if you're going to peg them one way while they're trying to do something different, you're not going to support the, the the transformative experience that could take place both for you and for the other person, you know? And so that's why I think it's just so powerful um, for us to like kind of really start thinking about that as opposed to kind of really getting rigid and stuck in our ways. And definitely when we're around the dinner table for Thanksgiving, <laughs> I think a lot of that would be helpful. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so what do you think, you know, as you think about the leadership challenges going into 2024, what are the things that are in, you know, kind of around DEI, but just leadership in general, what are the things that you're hearing that you are thinking about as you are stepping into 2024 here shortly, um, around leadership and around, you know, how we, how we show up as leaders or the challenges that leaders might have? 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. And and I think this is an ongoing one. We are moving um, you know, and Jackie, you you started talking about this a little bit earlier. We're moving away from just skill development and making sure that people have, you know, the um the 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 hardcore skills to be successful at what they do and removing continuing to move more towards these soft skills these these levels of competency around resiliency adaptability empathy um you know being able to, for leaders to function for lack of a better word in a more feminine way if you will in terms of leadership there was a, a TEDx talk I watched recently where a guy, I think the title of it was like all women should be leaders or something, <laughs> which I thought was fascinating from his own research about when we look at the most successful leaders, um, you know, they tend to adopt more of feministic qualities or qualities that have been deemed more feminine. I don't think, I think everyone can hold these qualities, but they've been deemed more feminine than not. And so I think the challenge is while we are trying to upskill and reskill and retool people to have the ability to function across departments and to be able to support more a uh, wider range of responsibilities within organizations, what we need to do is to equip, equip leaders and how to engage in more empathy um, to be able to think more um, in ways of how they can be more supportive and nurturing in terms of the support that they give to the people that they work with, that they're thinking about their trajectory, that they're providing six, uh, career advancement opportunities, not just by pointing out that this job is open, but by helping them to develop some of the same type of competencies so that they too can step up in leadership positions in the future. So, you know, when I think about that, I think some of those that critical thinking, the empathy, the um, you know resiliency and adaptability, some of those future ready capabilities are what's necessary for leaders moving forward in the future. I think you're you're so right, and I think as we see various technologies, and we're so tech heavy right now, it's really important to be human, right? And we're seeing people really touch and dig in more there and being like, hey, I'm a person, let me be able to connect with you in that way. And it's gonna become even more important of having that disconnection where it's like, are you a robot? I don't know, you know, you have to always click the button, what's a motorcycle, I don't know. Um, but we're seeing that we're looking for a real human person on the other side of that without those answers. I've gotten to the point where I feel like even with some of the things on ChatGPT, I can recognize emails as ChatGPT, which makes me feel even worse, even though I'm sure, you know, someone said, if we aren't addressing it, it makes people worse faster. And so yeah. we're looking to take that out, but we're seeing how important it is, especially as we're asking people at the same time to be their whole self or to try to bring more of themselves. But then by doing that, we also haven't coached, going back to the soft skills, on how do you receive that? I know how to act like me. How do I accept other people as them? Is something that we've kind of left out of the equation. Um, yeah. Where it's like, okay, yeah. they're gonna show up as themselves and you deal with it. <laughs> You're like, yeah. uh, they yeah. keep yelling at me. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know right. what to do. 
I think that's a great point. I mean, to, to both your points, you know, we are, technology is here and it is growing and it exponentially and um, we are going to have to understand how to coexist with it and how to utilize it effectively. I think that's the skill set of, of leaders is not to be afraid of technology, but how do you adapt and learn how to use it in a way that's supporting the work that you're doing without losing your humanity and the connection to that. Um, but like, yeah, to your point, allowing people to be authentic, it also requires organizations to start creating spaces that allow for that authenticity to thrive within that place, right? And for me, a lot of the work that we do, we we, we use psychological safety as a foundation for that. Even, even when we're, a lot of, I used to do in the early 2000s, a lot of diversity training and a lot of, you know, diversity focused work. And I feel like we've made some progress in how we do that now. But even then, what I remembered is that when you start coming in with that conversation, it immediately puts people into the defense because they think the conversation is going to be about how different we all are and how we have to accept all the differences. And what we don't do is start the conversation and how much we have in common and how we could build from that common place of our humanity, right? And so for me, the reason that, you know, uh, you, I've been asked to do anti-racism work or or to, you know, try to help with these kind of cultural changes that are more supportive. And I always start from the space of, you know, what is our humanity? Like, where do we all find the commonality? How can we build trust? How can we build safety? How can we have grace, right? So that we can start having conversations and dialogue with each other around real things. So that when you do show up expressive, I'm not like, ah! why is she so loud? I'm like, that's just Jackie. Welcome, Jackie, right? You know, so <laughs> we just kind of bring it all down to respecting each other at that level. And when we can start doing that, because I think that's what's missing, we can start raising the bar to have those more challenging conversations about how do we talk about race? How do we talk about sexism? How do we talk about, you know, how our culture is supporting ableism or any of those type of things? We can begin to then look at now, how do we see the differences as a benefit as opposed to this zero, zero sum gain kind of mentality that, well, if you win, I lose, right? So it becomes this competition and this immediately digging your feet into that me accepting you means something, I have to do something different about myself as opposed to I get to expand and grow because I'm in community with someone else, right? You know, which is a, it's um. It's a different way of doing it. It's a much more, um, you know, real way of doing it. I always say this work is messy. You know, if you think about a kitchen remodel, like if you want a new, be that new beautiful kitchen on the other side of that magazine, they got to rip out everything in there. It's going to be messy, loud, dirty, dusty. You know, you can't go in there for a while. There's, there's a lot of things that go from, I want this gorgeous kitchen to starting the process and moving there. And that's the same thing when we talk about this work is that it's messy. And I think what we need to do more of is normalizing messy, right? Um, a, a mentor once said to me that discomfort is the currency of dreams. And I believe that with this work is that you got to get a little messy and be okay with it in order to get to the other side of it. Absolutely. I, uh, yes, I, I, I think that's the piece that, folks do get stuck on. And it's also fascinating for me, once you get, you know, you get past that strategy stage of here's what we're going to do. 
then it is that's when the mess starts to happen and people start to push back or pull back or go i don't know and you know it's the change management pieces and all of these things but as soon as they see that mess they're like oh no 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 we shouldn't do this no we shouldn't try to make this change and you're like just just keep going i swear because we can't go back because that exactly. kitchen's gone that old kitchen's gone so yes yeah we, we, we have to do something now so yeah, uh, that's it's the like, part it's like think... the contractor continually reassuring you that no, when the countertops come in, they will be amazing. <laughs> right? right, right. Because if, you know, again, using that analogy, because I went through this, I think it's why it's so fresh for me. But, you know, you go and you you look at one little sample piece, one little tile piece, or you see one little strip of countertop, or you see this little section of a cabinet, and you're trying to imagine is all that going to come together and look okay when it comes into the full size? And that's what happens when you do this. You see little pieces and little glimpses, and it's hard to get the big picture, which is why it's important to have someone in the process who has that vision, who can see the big picture, like a contractor, who can come in and say, no, trust me, it's all going to come together. It's all going to work well. Or if a piece is off, how do you kind of course correct to the process? And so when you are embedding it into the day-to-day -day practices of how people are working, like you say, hey, so for your next um, team meeting, why don't we try to do, do it to do it this way, right? As opposed to doing a training that everyone goes to and forgets in the next, you know, day or two. What if you said in the in the next team meeting that you do, we try to incorporate this aspect into our team meeting? Or the next time, you know, we have a performance review we try it this way and incorporate maybe this way of doing it um, and the next time that we do an all team meeting or something that we maybe we started off this way as opposed to that so it's just how do you embed little pieces of it in there so that people can start begin seeing the bigger picture of the change that you want to really create in the organization that allows for people to show up and be the be their real selves I, well, then, I, I think you know, that goes to another point that you made earlier of you have to tell them again and again and again also. And so the more you can communicate that same thing in different ways over time also yeah. reinforces it's going to be okay. Like this, this is, we knew this was going to happen and it's okay. And the countertops will look great in your kitchen. It will be all right. <laughs> so. Yes. 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 <laughs> Sorry, Jackie. Communication <laughs> strategy is key through the whole thing. Transparency and strong communication is key. I, I just what I was going to talk about was it is interesting. I mean, there's it's got to be more sharing. I know that people don't understand if we are we are all different. And so when we're asking people to show up. It's nice to have a different way of doing something just so we can try something different. When you try something different, you're going to get different responses or different things that will that come back and you may not know, or some people may not be aware of their what they've been holding back of themselves until we do it a different way. I am. I was at a conference and I got really excited. The music was so good that I wanted to stay in the conference room, and I and I, I said to myself, I'm going to leave after this speaker. And the music was so good. I was like, oh, and I was like, is that what they've been trying to do the whole time, like for the past thirty <laughs> years, keep me in the room? because it has not been working it has not appealed to me mm -hmm. um but there's other people that were very excited about all, all of this music and it makes me think of how many other things have i not brought or have i held back that would make me feel whole i mean we we talk about 
um, safety, but there is a piece of it that's just freedom to be. And mm. it's, it's something that we don't always consider that someone, it's not just feeling safe. They don't feel free enough in this environment to show certain pieces. And I, and when we say that, we laugh and kid about, oh, you know, I'm not gonna, maybe I'm not gonna drop F-bombs as much as I do, or I'm not gonna drink a beer in the middle of the day or whatever it is. We talk about those things, but some things are just so slight of a change that I think people with the, the interpretation, the same with those same classes, or this is what we're gonna do, that it has to be so huge, but it just means, we just have to start putting one foot in front of the other. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And so, you know, it, it's a it's a two-person responsibility kind of process, right? And it's one of the things that when I, you know, you know, work, have worked with women in the past and they're looking to either move or change or go into a new organization or decide they want to stay where they're at or not. The first thing I ask them about is, do you find alignment? Can you be yourself? Right. To your point, can you be free and who you are in that place? Again, it goes like my TED talk is fit versus belonging, that instead of trying to find a place that you can fit into, you're a round peg trying to fit into a square hole. Where are the places that will allow you to belong where you feel like you're belonging, you know, in that organization? So so there is some of that as well, because you're right, you know. There are certain cultures that are what they're going to be and they are not going to shift. And so instead of beating our heads against the wall, trying to, you know, trying to get a culture to shift that's not going to. For me, the best thing is to find a place where you won't have to be beating your head against the wall. Now, is there a perfect place? No, because we're people and we're not perfect. But is there a place where you can show up and it is accepted, it is valued, it's um you know, looked upon as an attribute? Absolutely. And I think that's just as important for us to make those um, decisions as well as it is for an organization to create that space. Because we have to, but we have to know that about ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. To me, and that's where like understanding your brand, understanding who you are, like really being free to be who you are and understanding what that means. So that when you come across an organization that doesn't feel aligned to it in some way, shape or form, you know how to make that call quicker so that you don't find yourself someplace because you've been mesmerized by the title and the salary and forget completely about, well, can I thrive and survive in this place? Will they make room for that? Which to me, through the interview process, which is, you know, kind of a, we're moving to a different conversation, but that's why I always say you need to be interviewing as well as getting interviewed because you're trying to determine fit and, and, and whether or not this is a place that you can belong as opposed to, you know, seeing if you're going to have to readjust who you are in order to be successful in that place. Absolutely. I think, you know, uh, I just recently was in the process of, of looking for a new role and have taken a new role. And, and that was one of the pieces I, I was getting calls from different folks and it was like, like I, Jackie knows me well enough to know, I, I got uh, approached by a legal team to join as like the head of HR for um, a an attorney's group. And I was like, that is probably not a good fit for me because <laughs> I'm not going to wear a suit every day. Uh, I don't own any pantyhose anymore. I threw them out after <laughs> I left Chase. Uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm the one. And it's, I, lovely company and and they have they did find someone absolutely amazing but it's also yeah it's knowing yourself being able to interview but i think 
from the HR side, and this is the part that, you know, I, I am always so pushing so hard on is we have done such a horrible job of creating those spaces where folks can be themselves in such a way that it truly is authentic. And it's not, oh, you can be yourself, but in this mold, you can be yourself, but you have to do these things. And, you know, going back to that executive presence or going back to whatever it might be. And in organizations, like I just, I wish that we could, you know, kind of push reset or, or do that kitchen remodel for every organization to say, you know, what are those things that we truly value and, and how do we allow folks to express themselves in such a way that it is okay to be disruptive. It is okay to challenge. It is okay to just express yourself differently. And that doesn't mean that you are a bad person or that you don't get it or whatever. Like, I love the challenge. I love the folks that are going to stand up and say, yeah, Katie, you're wrong. And here's why. Um, Mm -hmm. That's the stuff that I think. So like, we just need to do a better job of that, of, you know, creating those spaces where it is truly open to, Hey, you could be who you'd like to be and, and it's safe and it's okay for you to do that. And it won't be a judgment and it won't be a punishment down the road when we're writing your review and it won't be, you're going to end up on a performance improvement plan or something else. So mm-hmm. yeah, th- those are the things also that I, I just, I would love for every organization to work on more is creating those spaces. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. I was having, I, I do once a, about once a quarter, um, an executive leadership lab where we, we just bring leaders together to have a conversation around a topic of interest. And, and um, we're actually doing one next week on the 29th. And we're talking about, create these spaces, how do you create these spaces, right? Particularly in light of the affirmative action decision that came out, and, you know, the organizations were pulling back or being hesitant around, you know, those efforts. And and we're having somebody come and speak. And um, I was having a conversation with him. And while he has taken up this in his organization that that he was running and he, had, he was committed to creating the space and hiring having more inclusive leadership, hiring more, you know, diversity, you know, from gender, race, um, generational age, you know, just really committed to really doing that. But he said something that I think I knew was true, but he said it out loud. And I thought, Ooh, (laughs) here's the reality. He said, there's some people who just are like, I'm not interested. And nor do I see the benefit or value. Right, you know, or, or we're doing fine the way we are. So why do we have to create spaces for people or have authenticity or have diversity or make it, you know, like, yeah, we have diverse people, but why make it such a big priority or things of that nature? And he's like, I've been in rooms where those are the conversations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, well, I think I knew that intellectually to hear it was almost like a smack in the face that, you know, everyone, this is not everyone's um, mission or purpose or passion or even interest, which to me is why on the other hand, on the other side of that, to your point, you know, Katie, when you talked about if, do I want to go into this place? If I go into this place, will it be the right place for me? Um, You know, will there be alignment? Can I be who I am? Is there going to be a problem? And am I going to be struggling because I have to, you know, as I said earlier, kind of take off the coat of who I am to try to fit into another place. And so 
we have to know that about ourselves and feel confident in that so that we can say no to opportunities that look from the outside great, but on the inside could be stifling and soul crushing um, because we're not allowed to have, you know, that freedom and that ability to be ourselves so that we could do our best work. I will tell you something that happened just last week. I started, I do a lot of public speaking too. And I started asking people for call and repeat. It makes me feel better. It makes me feel more comfortable. Um, and I'm usually the, the first speaker or the after lunch speaker, because I think it's because I'm so loud, pretty much. <laughs> so as I was doing, I was asking for the call and repeat. And then the call and repeat was getting louder. And you could feel the call and repeat in the room. None of these people knew each other. The next thing you know, there's these these group of people, they're all outside taking a picture and they're like, oh, it's the Divine Nine outside taking a picture at my event. And I was like, and none of them knew each other, number one, um, you know, the Divine Nine people don't know, they're like the first black fraternities and sororities. They n lived in the same town, did not know each other. They're taking pictures with each other. I've never seen that in, in an event that I had put down, but I also knew all of these people were in fortune 500 or other events because we it was an invite event and mm -hmm. you know within there was a very small percentage that that wasn't a member of that group and it was like all of these people and we were having real solid conversations that i haven't seen either so it was mm -hmm. all of these things coming together to be able to say i'm glad that in this environment, people felt safe enough to bring themselves because I've never seen it before. And I've gone to a lot of the a lot of these places and you don't think of. Oh, I just having to hold back a call and repeat is really stressful when I'm sitting in a big room, <laughs> like just going to the movies and not yelling at the at the movie <laughs> is very hard for me. Um, but then it's like, that's what I mean when you think about bringing your whole self and how do we do that? Of what does that mean? And other people asking, and then you don't realize it also gave an opportunity to talk about, you know, HBCUs, black colleges, non HBCUs, all of these different fraternities, sororities that somebody in the room did not know existed, did not know that was a whole world and never consider that that wasn't something that somebody brought. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I knew you, but I didn't know that was a part of your whole life. Right. And so it's interesting when you start thinking about it, it's like, how many spaces are there like that? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, speaking of LinkedIn, I saw a post today where it was an image of a hand and it said you on the hand holding a match. And it said when you are allowed to be yourself and had all these other little matches that were lit. And it said, when you are allowed to be yourself, how it sparks the other matches because it allows other people to do the same thing, right? To have other people to have permission to say, I could be me. I could, you know, oh, wow, I didn't know that about you. It, it opens it opens us up to so much more than we think, than when we think we have to follow this kind of one idea or one regimented way of, of doing things. So how amazing is that, that you were able to create that space for people who otherwise would not have been able to do that. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for letting me share. <laughs> that is cool. That is cool. But I think that, I think what you're sharing is what results from that, 
right? Mm-hmm. And so there's nothing but that that it opens up to innovation and creativity and revelations and ideas that otherwise would have never got placed on the table if you hadn't lit that match. If you hadn't lit the match of I'm good, I'm me doing me in this moment, and other people looking around saying, "Oh, wait a minute, you mean I could do that too?" Right? They may not ever, ever have ever thought that that was possible for themselves, or probably went in thinking, "I, I have to. I'm at a professional event and I'm representing my company, and not allow themselves to be like." What? <laughs> right. And that's what's so important. That's why this work is so important, and yeah. people need to recognize that. You know, as you're coaching or you're going through these scenarios, you're you're finding the the fit so that I can do my best work. How much of this, if I don't have to worry about these things, if I do have to worry about certain things, then that means some of my brain capacity is somewhere else always. I'm not giving you my best self and it doesn't matter how many pizza parties or Amazon gift cards you give me, I'm not able to do it as long as these things, if I have to be at fear at work, then you're not getting all of all my best work. Yeah, and and the other the other side of this that I have seen over time is that, you know, women and women of color have been so conditioned not to do that. That if the fear of being our full selves um, based on either societal um, pressures, um, historical pressures, cultural pressures that inhibit us from being fully present because we've been taught not to be. We've been taught that showing up fully or boldly could get you in trouble, could get you fired, could get you, um, you know, you know, killed to to some to some extent if you think about it historically from you know the black community in particular, but. Um, you know, so there is this kind of societal or kind of legacy kind of DNA at some point that just really inhibits. And I have seen women really, really struggle with trying to break out of this idea about how they're supposed to be because they've been working so hard to be perfect and to show up in the way they've, they've learned the rules and yes. they've learned how to follow them so well that they don't even know who they are, that they've lost their sense of self and identity, that they can't even, they think they're showing up authentically, but don't understand why they're feeling burnt out or why they're struggling or why they're unhappy or why this job isn't fulfilling the way it should be because of some of these underlying things that have prohibited their ability to be able to do that. So, you know, I'm seeing the next generation you know, not really struggle so much with that, but definitely, you know, older Xers, um, you know, boomers like me, you know, late boomers like me or others are have been conditioned in a certain way of being, it becomes really, really challenging. And so then what could happen on the flip side of what you shared, and even with that analogy that I saw on LinkedIn, is that it becomes scary when you see someone like that match and show up who they are. So mm-hmm. because that is not how I was taught the way you should be, then I, because I've internalized this oppressive way of thinking that I then begin to try to try to dim your light because mm-hmm. it's, it's unsettling for me, right? It's, it's not the way we should be. It's not the way we should act. 
because I hear that so much that from some women that some of their worst leaders were other women or other leaders of mm-hmm. color who who were totally trying to squash their ability to show up. And I think it has a lot to do because of that whole internalized, indoctrinated way of thinking, no, no, this is what we have to do to be successful. And when you step out of that, you're going to mess it up for everybody kind of thing, right? And you're going to, you know, not allow it to be successful. So that that other piece of it, that internalized stuff becomes so deeply embedded that it can prevent people from doing that and cause some type of conflict when, you know, for those who are trying to speak up or, or just be themselves versus those who are like, no, you leave that at home. This is where you need to be in the future. And I've seen that too. And it's very, very detrimental. And, I, you know, when I see that happen. Well, we've all seen it. We've seen the punishment. We've seen what happens when you okay. do step out of line, whatever you want to call it, of, you know, hey, if we speak up too much, if we are too big or too bold or too whatever, too much, um, we've seen folks, you know, fail and get fired or fail and be outcasts. You know, like I, we've seen all of this happen. And so I think that's the piece too, is that I agree with you. I think this younger generation is coming in and saying, yeah, whatever, it, you know, we're not listening mm-hmm. to that, which I love because it needs to be tossed out the window and we do need to start whatever, whatever you are, whoever you are showing up and being able to share and communicate and like mm-hmm. that match is a great thing. So we could talk for like six more hours. I think uh, this is what happens every time. <laughs> um, so th- this is the time that we start the singing portion, the karaoke portion. Are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, me, 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 me. Wait, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just kidding, just kidding. So I would love to ask, um, what is one thing or what are one or two things that you would love for our listeners to have heard from this conversation and, and kind of take with them? Yeah, I think the first thing is that it's messy, that to do any kind of work where you're talking about human transformation or organizational shift is that it's messy. And just to kind of own that and to know that, you know, uh, discomfort is the currency of dreams, right? If, if you know that through the mess, you'll get the other side of that, you know, shiny, beautiful thing that you, you're, you're hoping to get to the other side. And I think in terms of our last conversation or the last piece of what we were talking about is just if you kind of indoctrinate or internalize this this way of being and thinking that you know is limiting and holding you back, I invite you to kind of try to break free from that and really reconnect and rediscover what matters to you, your values, what's important to you. Give yourself grace. You know, if you have been that way and now you want to kind of break out of that to give yourself permission and grace to be able to really find who you are and to let that shine through. Love it. Love it. Jackie, what you got? So I want to continue on on the thought when we're talking about interviewing the company and understanding that you're interviewing the company and they're interviewing you. Um, You don't have to wait until you're looking for a job to interview the company, even if you're there to start having those conversations and determine about that fit. Um, Because I think that information is so important, but It might be valuable, especially as we go into the new year to figure out what's going on, how are things going to navigate, what's on the roadmap to see and make sure that this is a place that you are fit and do some internalization to see if you're trying to fit to the role or you're trying to make the role, the role fits you and who you are. Love it. 
And I think for me, I, you know, we have kind of talked around this and I don't know if we've actually said the words, but that emotional intelligence of being able to understand what's going on, you know, and read the room and learn and have that growth mindset and being able to be open to different and change and the messy and all of these things, um, like how well equipped you will be to be a leader if you have those things. And, and that in my mind is really what the executive presence, you know, as we define it in the future is going to be, is really more about that emotional intelligence and the ability as a leader to lead folks who are different than each other in the right way and, and to make sure that they can shine and do their best work. And, you know, as Jackie said, not be distracted by, can I say this? Can I not say that? And all of the things. So uh, love it. So where can folks find you if they would like to chat with you? Obviously LinkedIn, uh, they know that, but where else can they find you? Yeah, well, you can definitely go to my website at www.carolparkerwalsh.com. It is, uh, it, it will link you out to a bunch of other things. I have a blog. I have some, you know, other things that I've written and published that there are links to that. Um, particularly if you hit the, the medium page, there's a lot of stuff out there that, um, little tidbits of me <laughs> out there in the world. So I would say, you know, find yourself there and you could definitely learn more. Awesome. Very good. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, so uh, Dr. Parker Walsh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you joining us and happy holidays to you. Um, and uh, we're coming to your house for dinner. Um, from what we understand, <laughs> based on what we heard she is having for dinner on Thursday. So yes. uh, Jackie and I will be heading to the Pacific Northwest if anyone is looking for us. Um, <laughs> this is thank Katie Van Horn. <laughs> and this is Jackie Clayton. Uh, bye. Bye. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.